0: We're going to continue a series we started last week. Um, the, as a church, uh, when, you, when you start to have a, a physical place, we have an office now. When, um, when you start to have a physical place, one of the things that will happen as a church is people will drop in looking for help. It happens. Um, I've worked at churches now for a while, and every once in a while someone will drop in and they'll say, hey, I've got an emergency. I, um, I'm out of gas and I need some gas money. Or, hey, I, I have an emergency. I, um, I don't have any money for rent. You know, or someone will come in and say, "I have an emergency. Our kids are hungry. We don't have any money left for food." Uh, the most recent one, we had a had a young man drop in, um, 19 years old, and he grew up in this area. And he came, and all he had was his backpack and a little suitcase. And he said, "You know, I, I don't have a place to go. You know, I can't go home. Um, they sent me out to another state, and they kept me as long as they could. And they sent me back here on a Greyhound. And so I went to some buddies and." Stayed there as long as I could, and uh, I don't know where I'm going to go tonight. And these things happen, you know? And, and so one of the things you wrestle with is, well, what's the Christian response? What's the right thing to do? Because that's what we want to do. We want to do the right thing. And in the past, when these kind of things would happen, the first thing I'd do is kind of reach for my wallet and say, well, here's what I got. You're welcome to it, you know? And you, you try to help people as best you could. You get the imme- immediate need, you respond to the immediate need, and... And now I I realize, looking back, that I could have been doing more harm than good by doing that. Could have been doing more harm than good. Uh, Let me show you a verse that we're going to come back to. This verse, it's going to have some language that you may or may not be familiar with, but let me show you this. Put it out there, and then I want to take us on a a little journey to try to understand what do you do when you are presented with these kind of needs? Last week when we started this series, we talked about how, how if you're a believer and you come across real needs, there is something in you that is going to be compelled to help. It's just that's the spirit of Christ in us. You'll see things and you want to help. Well, we want to really help. We want to do that. So here's ultimately what, what helping is about. It, it's, it's this, this verse we're going to land on at the end here of our time together. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ... They are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ, what does it say? Reconciled, which means brought us together, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now again, some of this language is going to be new to to a lot of you. If it is, don't worry. This is where we're going to go. I believe this is what um, responding to needs is really all about. It's about the fact that God is in the business of trying to reconcile all things to himself and then we are called to do the same with, with others. What we're going to be, the, the subtitle for today, if you were looking at your notes, is the 411 on poverty. 411 is a number that you can dial when you want what? Information. 911 is the one that gets the press. What You call 911 when there's a what? Emergency. And I think poverty gets like this. We sometimes get them confused. We, we think we have the 411, so we respond as you would in a 911, and that may or may not be the right situation. Uh, when people get these physically confused, when they get 411 and 911 confused, it's a mess. Um, I Googled, I went on, online and I Googled dumbest 911 calls. And uh, here's a couple examples of, of that. Here's one. Uh, where she should have called 411 maybe, or just stopped and thought about it. A woman calls 911 after getting locked inside her own car. A Florida woman called 911 because she was locked inside her own car. The unidentified woman was parked at a Walgreens store in Kissimmee. My car won't start. I'm locked inside the car. The unidentified woman said, Nothing electrical works, and it's getting very hot in here, and I'm not feeling well. The dispatcher, in a stroke of brilliance, suggested pulling up the lock. The woman tried it and successfully was able to open the door. Was this a 911 situation? No. 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 Uh, Let's look at the next one. I realized at the 9 o'clock that I have two examples, both from women. Um, To save the emails, that was not intentional. It was not intentional. Guys do this stuff too. Oh, I know. You can't do anything without. Anyway, here we go. 911. Woman calls 911. Look at this. A woman calls 911 to ask a police officer on a date. (laughs) Supposedly, this is a true story. A woman in Aloha, Oregon called 911 because she thought a deputy who had just visited her house was good looking. After her neighbors reported a noise complaint, two sheriff's deputies knocked on her door. One of them caught her eye. When they left, the woman dialed 911. She said that she didn't have an emergency. She just wanted the dispatcher to throw the cute cute police back her way. This woman ended up getting a big fine, all kinds of trouble. When when you think you're supposed to be doing a 911 when really the problem is a 411 problem, then then you don't make things better. You just end up making things worse. And again, I think people do that when it comes to poverty. What we're going to do today as we try to define poverty is not just an academic exercise. What we're doing today matters because the way you view poverty, if you want to respond, is going to affect the way that you respond. Here's here's some examples. Um, Poverty is very complex. It could be all kinds of things. If you believe the primary cause of poverty is a lack of knowledge, you'll respond by trying to educate. If you believe the primary cause of poverty is oppression by powerful people, you'll respond by working for social justice. If you believe the primary cause of poverty is the personal sins of the poor, you'll try to get them more Jesus. If you believe the primary cause of poverty is a lack of material resources, you'll respond by opening up your wallet and giving them some money or resources. Now, those of you who've worked with poverty at all, you realize, is it ever a lack of knowledge? Is that ever part of the issue? Yeah. Um, Is it always the issue? No. Is the issue ever oppression by powerful people? Absolutely. Is it always oppression by powerful people? Nope. Is it always something, bad choices that a person is making? No, it's not always that. Is it sometimes? Yeah. Is it necessarily a lack of material resources? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes that is the issue. Is it always the issue? The heart issue? No. No. So sometimes it's one of these, sometimes it's some of these, sometimes it's all of these. It takes discernment. And then beyond all this, there's even a deeper root cause that the Bible points us to. Uh, there's a book that we are going to reference throughout this series. We have the information in your notes. It's called When Helping Hurts. How many of you have read at least part of this? Part of this book? Alright, a number of you have. Great book. Great book. I'd recommend it for every Christian. Because as a believer, you're going to come across needs. And to have a a paradigm um, of of that is a helpful thing. Well, here's here's one of the things they write in the book, two authors. They said this, A sound diagnosis is absolutely critical for helping poor people without hurting them. How can we diagnose such a complex, complex disease? Divine wisdom is necessary. We talked about that last week, getting insight from, from, from God himself. Although the Bible is not a textbook on poverty alleviation, it does give us valuable insights into the nature of human beings, of history, of culture, and of God that point us to the, in the right direction. What, what they're saying here is that, that you can't just go to the Bible and look up, how does the Bible define poverty? It, it, it doesn't work like that. What should we do in every situation when we encounter what we think is poverty? The Bible doesn't do that. What the Bible does is gives us all kinds of insights into human beings, into history, culture, and of God that are going to point us towards a response. And what's interesting is you're going to see that as you read through the scriptures and you read how, how so many of what they're saying back then, how much of what they say about back then really applies to us, you realize there are some things that are just universal. And the things that we're going to talk about today, they, they apply here in Shoreview when someone comes into our office or when you run into somebody. They, they apply in Minneapolis, They apply in uh, Juarez. They apply in Haiti. Talk to any of our partners who are on the ground working day in and day out. They'll tell you the same thing, that it is complex. It is complex. And that a a sound diagnosis is critical. Well, as I look at the scriptures as best I can, I I reach the conclusion that many have, that ultimately poverty, when you get closer to the root, it comes down to this, and there's a place to write this down in, in your notes. Inside your bulletin, we uh, have an insert in there. Uh, it's green this week, and um, I'd encourage you to write this down. That poverty is caused by broken relationships. Poverty is caused by bo- broken relationships. You can make a strong case that the whole reason we exist is relational in nature. That God, who exists in perfect community is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit wanted to extend the opportunity for community to us. And he created beings that have the capacity to relate with him, that have the capability to have a relationship with yourself, to have a relationship with other people, and then to have a relationship with the rest of this world. And so this amazing diagram here to your left, my right, represents right relationship. This represents right relationship that the way God intended us to live life is to have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with ourselves and a right relationship with other people and then a right relationship with this creation that he's placed us in. The biblical word for this, one of the biblical words is shalom. It's a Hebrew word. And there's no direct e- equivalent in the English language. It's so rich and so loaded. Um, the verb it's derived from, from my understanding, can convey an, a, a sense of completeness. Like a building project, major building project gets completed. Ah, there's shalom. There's a big debt that has been outstanding for some, some time. Ah, the debt is repaid. There's shalom. So there's a sense of restoration and completeness. But it's also a blessing. They would say shalom when they would greet one another as a blessing. They would say shalom as they would send each other as a blessing. It could convey peace and tranquility. It could could convey friendship and justice. It could imply the absence of war or even enemies. It's when there's shalom, all is as it should be. When there's shalom, you have the capacities you need to meet whatever comes your way. And so what, what an absence of poverty would be is that we've got shalom in all our relationships. There's right relationship with God, there's right relationship with ourself, right relationship with others, and right relationship with this world around us. But the problem is we live in a broken world. And that brokenness affects everything, including all of our relationships. Which brings us to this other diagram. And in case you're wondering, yep, I made a mistake on it, I am great. That's one of my gifts, is to make mistakes on my diagrams. But I corrected it for you They were wondering if I wanted whiteout. I just went with the draw the line through. Let's talk about this. When there's a breakdown in a relationship with God, there is then a poverty of spiritual intimacy. Instead of having this connection with God where you have a sense of purpose and guidance and direction and even at times feeling close to God, there's a breakdown in that. Maybe there's a denial of his existence. Maybe there's a feeling of distance. Maybe there's a a feeling of, of alienation from him. Maybe there are doubts and fears or guilt or shame. Or one of the things that also can happen is when there's a breakdown in the intimacy between us and God, other things start to get elevated into his place instead of God. So that breakdown can happen. There's also the breakdown that can happen with ourselves. There are, I think, all of us, to some degree or another, we have a breakdown of that of shalom with ourselves. We have insecurities that wouldn't have to be there. We have shame that could, doesn't have to be there. We have, we, we have these internal prisons. We have all these things that are happening inside that wouldn't have to be there if we were able to come to this place of shalom with ourselves. And instead of what happens when there's a breakdown there, instead of listening to what God says about us, about who we are, about who we can be, we listen to the other voices, the ones inside that say, you're no good. You're not good enough. Or the opposite of pride, arrogance. So when there's a breakdown with the self, there's a poverty there. Um, next one, community. When there's a breakdown in our relationship with others, there's a poverty of community. And actually, they find it, a lot of times in the big cities, there's the most loneliness. So it's not about having people around you. It's whether or not you have a real relationship with them. We, we, we've said before that one of the worst loneliness you can feel is a loneliness in marriage where there's supposed to be intimacy, but there's not. There's a breakdown. That happens in our relationships. And so we have this poverty of community. We turn against each other. We, we, we fail to communicate. We harm one another. We isolate ourselves out of fear or rejection or whatever. There's a breakdown in community. That's a poverty. And then certainly the one that we all recognize, the poverty that comes with, with material things. God gave us unique capacities as, as mortals on this planet. N- nothing else in creation that, that's mortal has the same capacities that we do as people. We have an have a, a, a ability to interact with our world where we can dream up possibilities and then with the work of our minds and our hands and our hearts and even mobilizing others into a vision... Things can happen in a way that you don't see in the animal, the rest of the animal world. There's there's also a sense of, of being able to provide for ourselves and our families that goes beyond anything else we see in nature. You know, where instead of just, I kill something and I bring it home and they eat it, we can build these amazing lives for one another too. And that's part of what it means to interact and steward this creation. So when there's a poverty of stewardship, that can look all kinds of ways. It can look in the, in the, the way of, I have work, but it's, it's, it's not meaningful at all. It can look in the sense of, I, I want to be able to provide for them, but I don't have the means to be able to do that. It can look all kinds of different different ways. All kinds of different ways. And I don't want to give the illusion that if we all work really hard, everything's going to be perfect. No. You know, that it, it's not until Jesus comes back and makes everything as it should be that everything will be as it should be. But we're also taught by God to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a reconciliation that God wants to see. He wants to see these breakdowns in relationships get reconciled, to get reconciled. That's what he desires to see in, in such a deep, deep um, and lasting, and lasting way. Um, In fact, here's here's a quote I'd like us to take a look at This comes from the book again Because we're specifically dealing with material poverty We're going to be focusing in on, on, on that aspect of poverty But I think it's important for us to note That the goal is not to make the materially poor All over the world into North Americans Because we've got a lot of poverty here, don't we? And not just financial poverty All these areas, all these areas, and I've seen that happen, and I've faced that temptation myself when I've gone and stepped in these situations. My immediate response when I see the need is improve their standard of living, get them a nicer house, get them um, some food, get the kids some toys, and we could inadvertently just turn them into us, and we don't want to do that because, as they go on to say, this is true we are a group of people characterized by high rates of divorce, sexual addiction, substance abuse, mental illness. That is not the goal at all, to make them more like us. In fact, it was interesting, Jesus, Jesus once said to the Pharisees, he just rebuked them, he said, you guys, you try to get these converts, and you turn them into the same sons of hell that you are. You know, we don't want to do that, fall on that mistake of just saying here, be more like us who are also poor. Rather, the goal, the quote says, Rather, the goal is to restore people to a full expression of humanness, to being what God created us all to be, people who glorify God by living in right relationship with God, with self, with others, with the rest of creation. You know, the good news is so much better than most people know. For some people, when they hear the, the word good news or when they think of what it means to be a Christian, they reduce it to some little prayer that they think will keep them out of hell. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is that God has come to reconcile, to reconcile, to, 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 to help in every one of these areas, our complete whole selves, to bring reconciliation. So now with all of that said, let's open our Bibles together to... First Corinthians. If you have your Bible, let's open them up. If you don't have a Bible at home, we would love to send you home with one free today. We have a stack of them right there in the back. Please, please feel free to take one on your way home. All right, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting with verse 15. First, what did I say? First Colo- or this is Colossians. My mouth and my mind need to get reconciled a lot. This is, Colo- regardless of what I said before, this is Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Here we go. He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Listen to the language here, all right? For by him all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, here's this word, to what? Reconcile to himself all things, whether in earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. The the language used here could not be stronger, referring to Christ. He is identified as the Lord of creation. All things created through him, for him. He is before all things. In him, all things are held together. Verse 19, In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And what that does is invokes Old Testament language, where the presence of God filled the temple. It's using that kind of imagery to say you know in Christ you've got the wisdom, the power, the spirit, the glory of God the Father. Strong language. And then through the Christ, through this Christ, the world is to be reconciled. The whole world is to be reconciled. And that word reconciled, it's a beautiful word. It is. Um, think about your relationship with God and for that not to be reconciled, to be alienated, to be distant. You know, when Jesus spoke out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To feel forsaken by God, to, to feel um, that you have a sin that could not be forgiven, that you've done something that is just so bad, or to feel like he doesn't, he, you're not noticed by him, he doesn't hear you, he doesn't, to be wherever that is, for that to be reconciled, for there to be shalom. That's what God desires in the relationship with himself. And for you, for those of us who walk around with anxiety, lots of insecurities, feelings of, of low self-esteem, or the opposite, where you just think you're all that and you're the only one in the world that does, you know? <laughs> to be reconciled, to have the right relationship with yourself. How beautiful is that word? Or with others, you know? Who among us doesn't have breakdowns in our in our families of origin, that we would long to see reconciled. Or friendships, the best friend that now is like, you know, or with people or co workers or whatever, where there's the distance and the awkwardness and all that kind of stuff, you know, to have that reconcile. How beautiful is that word? And then with our creation, you know, to find, find work that is meaningful, maybe not in the task itself but in the sense of I'm providing. By the work of my hands, by the work of my mind, I'm providing for myself, for others. I'm contributing to society, you know? Or to be able to find work that's meaningful in the sense of this is why I was created, this is what I was supposed to do. How beautiful is the word reconciliation? And that's what God would have for us. Which brings us then to the verse that we started with, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 starting in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, ha, they're a new creation. God wants to take this poverty of being and spiritual intimacy and stewardship and community, and he wants to make us into a new creation. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, now look at this, and gave us what? He gave us, thus, say it out loud, the ministry of reconciliation. See, this isn't just about you get right with God and the world around you. This isn't about me, 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 me. This is also about God working then through us to bring about reconciliation in our world. And giving somebody 10 bucks may or may not be what we're supposed to do. It could be. That could be what God's asking, but it may or may not be. But ultimately, poverty is this, and there's a place to write this down: poverty alleviation in the big picture is the ministry of reconciliation. It is about helping your coming to this place yourself and about helping others to have this wholeness that God has for us. Now, every Sunday here is about poverty alleviation in some way. Either we're talking about better understanding and relationship with God, or we're talking about community with one another, or, or what. But today we're specifically talking about poverty alleviation. So here's, let me give you a definition then specifically when it comes to material poverty poverty alleviation. Material poverty alleviation involves helping people find work that honors God and supports the worker and their family. Let me say this again. Material poverty alleviation involves helping people find work that honors God and supports the worker and their family. Let me tell you something. It is a whole lot easier to give people money isn't it? It is a whole lot easier to just, when you're going through, now it seems like every place you go, do you want to give an extra dollar to, oh, look at me, alleviating poverty. May or may not. It's about, it's, it's the harder work. It is the harder work of, of and the messy work of entering into someone else's life. That's what it's about. It's about helping the, the people more than enough, more than helping to f- see that people have enough food and shelter, it involves the harder task of empowering people to care for their own needs and the needs of their family in a God-honoring way. And so that's why we're not done this week because now we want to press into that in weeks two, or weeks three and four. So here's a little snapshot into where we're going the next uh, two weeks. Next week, Tim, who's well qualified to speak on this, um, he heads up our Compassion and Justice team. Um, he's going to be speaking on this, of different needs requiring different responses. There are times where what is needed is rescue. There are times where it's an abusive situation. It is an emergency situation. What is needed on the part of God's people is to step in and pull them out of the danger zone. There are other times the response that's needed is relief. And and Joel talked about this a little bit. Um, There are times where what's needed is, hey, we just had a hurricane come in and wipe out our house. We need shelter, we need water, we need food. But then in addition to that, there's rehabilitation and there's development. The idea of helping people be able to become self-sustaining. And not just self-sustaining, to then to be able to contribute. And not just be able to be self-sustaining and contribute, but to start to get wholeness in their lives. And not just to get wholeness in their lives, but then to become involved in the ministry of reconciliation. So that's what we're going to look at next week. And then week four... One of my soapboxes in life, I want to make the case for us um, being individuals and corporately people who are more a mile deep than a mile wide. And what we mean by that is getting into each other's lives. To not just, because when you don't do that, when you just come from, I am the benefactor, you are the receiver, that is a God complex. That is a, I am superior, you are inferior, let me help you. When you do this, when you get into the lives of others, you start to see the poverty in yourself. And you start to realize, I'm broken too. And we start to realize we can learn from one another. if It is not that the materially wealthy are morally superior. It is not that the material wealthy necessarily have this all figured out. Sometimes the material wealthy are here. More so than here. So it's about entering into each other's lives, getting involved in the messiness, seeing things that we may not want to see in ourselves, and then starting to recognize this is complex. This is complex. Let's take a look at one last um, quote from uh, from the book, When Helping Hurts. Again, I think they're right on here. And, bef- well, let me just start reading it. If poverty alleviation is about reconciling relationships, then we do not have the power To alleviate poverty. Let me hit pause right there. This is so important for us to recognize. (coughs) That if this is this, on this side here, if this is truly poverty, then you and I don't have the power to to make the reconciliation happen. That's going to be between the individual and God. All we can do is be responsive to what God asks of us, but praise God the results are not something we're going to be held accountable for. We're not held accountable for the results. We're held accountable for the obedience. And that's where this good news of the gospel comes in, that it's God desiring to work through us. This isn't something that you must do to earn favor with God or, or boy, you're going to, in heaven, it's a matter of did, how many people said yes to this and how many people did you save, whatever. It's about, were you obedient? Ultimately, the results are up to God and the person. So we don't have the power in ourselves. It is not something we can just manufacture through better techniques or improved methods or better planning. For reconciliation is ultimately an act of God. Now, do we strive for such reconciliation? Yes, of course. We are ministers of reconciliation. We do our best to preach the gospel, to find cures for malaria, to foster affordable housing. But part of our striving is also to fall on our knees every day and pray, Lord, be merciful to me and my friend here because we are both sinners. And as part of our striving, it means praying every day, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For without you, we cannot fix our communities. We cannot fix our nations. We cannot fix our world. I had, uh, in the first hour, we had someone who This is their life. This is their vocation. You should have seen her nodding like a bobblehead doll because she's in the midst of it and she recognizes, boy, no matter how much money we sink into the situation, how many programs we have, ultimately, if God isn't part of it, you know, it's destined to, to not reach the fullness of what it could be. Well, for those of you who are thinking, all right, this sounds great. These are... These are some good principles. Are there some concrete steps I can take? Yeah, let me give you a bunch of them. I put them in your notes. Here's some ideas. Um, come back next couple weeks as, and to get a little bit more of the 411 on these issues, to go in a little bit deeper. If you want to go deeper still, read the book, When Helping Hurts. They're, they're able to talk about systems and all these kind of things we don't have time to get at um, here to get together. Pray, the prayer calendar. Grab one of those on your way out. Um, we have p- partners who, who would love us to be focusing prayer. Because it can't be about them. It needs to be about God. So joining them in prayer, we would love to have more and more people doing that. Grab a prayer calendar. The Covenant World Relief Coin Drive, as Joel mentioned, it's a great cause for, if you are feeling compelled to give financially, what a great group to give to. Because they, they're, they are the rocket scientists. They are the rocket scientists. And we can trust them to be making great decisions. Um, Mary actually, Mary, can you do this? Mary's on their board. I mean, talk to Mary if you want to find out more about covenant world belief. Um, Now, the next step, a little more uncomfortable, but we need to become uncomfortable, to go and do stuff. Go do stuff. Here's a couple examples where you could go with us. Urban Homeworks. They just got back from last Saturday, Saturday before, um, helping out in the city sponsoring a child, entering into their life. Uh, for those of you who are, are new, um, ECH Emanuel Children's Home. We have a relationship with Emmanuel Children's Home. Not the only place you can sponsor a child through, but, but there's one. And then if you're ready to go even more, join the Compassion Justice Missions team and wrestle, be a part of the group at our church that are the primary advocates to say of all the things we could be doing as a church, what do we want to do? And how do we mobilize and inspire and equip people? Or visit. Again, you can visit all over the world, but here are some of our partners. We have partners in Juarez. Tim's taking a group in December um, and again in uh, March and I think in the summer too. Um, we're also trying to plan a trip to Haiti to go visit Ryan and Melissa and, and check out that ministry. So there are some practical steps because God compels us to do something. And what we want to do is do wise something. Um, at 9 o'clock, a guy was asking, hey, whatever happened to the 19-year-old, you know, guy? Um, well, at our church, uh, every new thing is a new precedent. And so we didn't have a system in place. So I said, hey, you want something to drink? We are at, um, at, uh, uh, at the office and got him a Coke and got him some, um, some, some treats and said, well, hang out. And I started making some phone calls. And there was a point where I was on hold, so I had one phone on hold and another phone, you know, going and we ultimately connected with uh, Union Gospel Mission down, down uh, in St. Paul. Great organization. One of the reasons I felt good about taking him there was they said, "Here's what we'll do: we'll promise he's got a place for tonight. He'll have a, no questions. He's got a got a place tonight. He's got food. And then when you arrive, we're going to connect him with a counselor, and we're going to talk about where he's at and where he's coming from, and then we'll go from there." And so. It's going to be one of those. Will he get reconciled? I don't know. I haven't heard from him. But as God's people, we want to give people every chance we can. And so to be able to connect, you know, this guy uh, to a a group who will give him every opportunity to succeed. um, We can't fix all the world's problems, but I can go to bed and sleep at night if we're being obedient to what God asks of us. Well, as we go forth from this place, let's, let's pray together. Would you please stand? Let me pray a blessing over us as we do each week as we go forth um, into our into our world, let's pray. Father, um, specifically, we ask your blessing. We ask for shalom. We ask for for reconciliation in our relationship with you. We ask for reconciliation within ourselves. We ask for reconciliation with those brothers and sisters here in this church family. We ask for reconciliation with our relatives, with our friends, co-workers. We ask for reconciliation with our world and how we see it and how we interact with it. Lord, bless us with shalom. Help us to to, to gain a clearer picture of what it looks like. And then as we Reach out and we walk towards you. Help us to experience it. And as we experience it, Lord, we pray that you give us the courage, the inspiration, and everything else we need to then begin to be agents of reconciliation in this broken world that we now head into. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Thanks for joining us.